Thanks, sweetheart. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to John 11. Over the past several months, I've had a strong sense that the Lord would have us look at the subject of grief. And so starting with an overview two Sundays ago, last week we explored our journey with grief, and today, for the final part, we're going to look at what it means to be a comforter to those who are grieving before looking to Christ, who is our comforter. And again, before I go any further, I cannot speak about this topic, such as this, without being acutely aware of the fact that there will be some people in this room here who are actively grieving, who may be feeling raw. I am very aware of that. And secondly, I would also want to encourage us all to take care of ourselves And if at any point, for any reason, any of this becomes too much, please don't. Please feel free to, to not to sit here and in some stoic manner. But please feel free to go into the foyer, grab some coffee, or do whatever it is that you need to do to take care of yourselves. It will be recorded, and so you can always come back to listen to it as and when you feel ready to. So let us take a look at John 11, verse 38 to 44. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, And let him go. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Arrest us in your power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us afresh. Amen. This morning, I want to explore what it means to be a comforter and then to look to Christ who is our comforter. But let's start with our poor friend Lazarus, who had to die twice. We see from verse 1 of John 11 that Lazarus was sick. And in verse 3, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
In verse 4, we see Jesus' response to their plea for help. When we heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, nor it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. So Jesus, who loved both Mary and Martha and Lazarus, on hearing that he's sick, stays where he is for two days. He doesn't rush to their aid. In fact, he does nothing at all. And then finally he says to his disciples, let's go. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. But when he gets there, John tells us that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And the commentators say that the number of four is very important. Apparently, the rabbis believe that for the first three days after death, a person's soul kept revisiting and hovering around the tomb. But on the fourth day, their soul left for good. And so it was at this point that the Jews believed that death was irreversible. And so when Jesus came to Lazarus, Lazarus is unquestionably dead. And Martha comes out to Jesus And whether she's expressing her faith in him or her frustration, both she and later Mary both say to Jesus, if he'd been there, he could have done something and Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus gives what really is a phenomenal answer, which we can easily lose sight of because we're so familiar with the story. Jesus doesn't say, you're right. I could have done something if only I got here sooner. And he doesn't even say, well, if you just wait a minute, I will do something. What Jesus says is to them, I am something. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the thing itself. And as we follow Jesus to the tomb, the words used to tell us that Jesus was deeply agitated and indignant at the presence of sickness and death, And he was so troubled that his body shook under the force of it, and he burst into tears. Here is one, as it says in Isaiah 53, who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But Jesus Jesus does an interesting thing. Jesus involves those who are there, gathered around Lazarus' tomb in his resurrection work, Now, if you're somebody who can raise the dead, you're probably not too faced by a stone being in the way. You see, the people didn't need to remove the stone for Jesus to do. He would have done it. Jesus could have removed the stone by himself. He could have had Lazarus walk through the stone if he wanted. And so Jesus prays. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And do you see that Jesus doesn't ask God to raise Lazarus? Apparently that's already been done. 
Jesus speaks, his, Jesus speaks, he says, for the sake of the people around him. And then he calls Lazarus out. And once again, Jesus involves those around him as he tells them to take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Lazarus has to basically make his own way out of a dark cave with just the voice of Jesus to guide him. He can't see after all. He's all wrapped up in grave clothes and would have smelled to high heaven. And we think about the call on our lives to be comforters. It's important for us to see here how Jesus calls the people who are there to join with him in this work. He didn't need their help. He could easily have raised Lazarus from the dead and had him come out free of grave clothes. Stones and sheets are no big deal if you know how to raise the dead. But what a wonderful picture is for us. For when we're called to comfort someone in their grief, God is inviting us to bring life to the places of death. He's inviting us to participate in his work It's not our work, it's his work. It's very much his work, but you and I get to do the very ordinary things like moving stones and unbinding grave clothes. You see, God has called us into the places of death and grief to do seemingly ordinary things, to be silent with the other, to weep with the other. But as we do these very simple things, like rolling away a stone and making meals and just sitting in silence, the Spirit of God works to bring about transformation to the glory of God. Because the resurrection and the life go with us. It is He, it is Jesus, that is the thing itself, not us. And when we sit with those who grieve, we are bringing to them the very one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Comfort those who mourn. So what might it be? What what might it mean to be a comforter? One aspect of the ministry of Christ in our lives is our comforter. When Jesus begins his public ministry in Luke 4, he reads from the book of Isaiah, and part of what he says is that he has come to heal the brokenhearted and to comfort all who mourn. So if the body of Christ, we are to follow Jesus, our head, in all things, the one of the things the church is to be known for is our ability to bring comfort to the grieving And as the body of Christ, we should be so marked by this ability to comfort others well that when people grieve, they should think, I know, I'll go to church because they know they'll receive comfort from the body of Christ. And first of all, this means that as Christians, we need to be willing to go to those places where death has visited We need to be willing to go to those places of weeping and mourning and anger and questions and despair and fear to places of sickness and to places of death. 
But if we're honest, a bit like those gathered around Lazarus and the smell of his four-day-old corpse, these can sometimes feel like the last places we want to be. We much, prefer to be, we much prefer to put ourselves in places of life, health, wholeness, and happiness. But Jesus left life, and he left light to go to where death had not only visited, but where death reigned. And as his body, we are called to do the same. As the church, we are to follow him into those places. And as Paul writes in Philippians, we want to know him and the power of his resurrection, but we also need to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. To try to evade the suffering or grieving of others is in essence to evade Jesus. The scriptures say that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And what that means is that we will never encounter any suffering, no matter how terrible it may be for us, that Christ has not already borne. We will never encounter any sorrow, no matter how great that Christ has not already carried. Jesus has already faced and has already carried with him every kind of suffering or grieving of any kind that we will encounter in this life. And so when we sit with those who grieve, we are sitting with him. This is just another part of God's call on our lives. What, but what might that look like if we are obedient to that call? What does it look like to comfort those who mourn? Again, it's really important to remember that there's no set way or right way to grieve. And here are a few thoughts as to how we might comfort those who are grieving. A key part of comforting one another can often be simply to not let discomfort prevent us from reaching out to someone who is grieving. We may not know what to say, or we may be afraid of saying the wrong thing, or we may be thinking, or we maybe think that there's little we can do to make things better. But now, more than ever, your loved one needs your support. We don't need to have any answers or give advice or say and do all the right things. The most important thing we can do is to simply be there. It's your support and caring presence that will help others cope with the pain and gradually begin to heal. Because we can be so afraid of saying the wrong thing, often we just try and avoid people who are grieving. Our hearts are wanting to engage, but we're so fearful of getting it wrong that we sometimes just hide away. Usually that's the least helpful approach. Far better to summon the courage and just acknowledge what's happened. 
we might say something as simple as, I heard that your father died, and I am so sorry. Even by just using the word died, we're showing that we're more open to talk about how the grieving person really feels. Another thing would be to let people know that you're there to listen. While many of us worry about what to say, it's actually more important to listen. One day they might want to cry on your shoulder. Another day they might want to vent or sit in silence or share memories. By just being present and listening compassionately, we can take our cues from the other. Simply being there and listening can be a huge source of comfort and healing. By simply asking, do you feel like talking? You're letting them know that you're available to listen. Another reflection would be recognizing that everyone grieves differently and for different lengths of time. And we've said there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Grief rarely unfolds in orderly, predictable stages. It's usually an emotional roller coaster with unpredictable highs, lows, and setbacks. Everyone grieves differently. Lastly, offer to help in practical ways. Offer your support. Ask what you can do for the ask what you can do for the grieving person. Offer to help them with specific tasks such as funeral arrangements or just being there to hang out with it with or a shoulder to cry on. It can be really difficult for those who are grieving to ask for help. They probably, don't, they probably just don't have the energy or the motivation to call you when they need something. So instead of saying, let me know if there's anything I can do, we can make it easier for them to, by making specific suggestions. We could say, I'm going shopping with this afternoon. What can I pick up for you? Or I've made a beef stew for supper. What would be a good time to drop some off to you? There are so many practical ways we can all help someone who is grieving. Do some shopping for them. Drop off some supper. Help with funeral arrangements. Help with housework such as cleaning or laundry. Help out with their children or pick them up from school. Drive them whenever, wherever they need to go. Offer to look after their pets. Ask them out for a walk. Whatever it is we do, try to do it for the long haul. Once the funeral is over and the initial shock of the loss has worn off, your support is going to be more valuable than ever. Keep in touch with them from time to time. Send them a message on WhatsApp, making sure they know there's no need to reply. Drop them a note. Just let them know that you're there for whatever they need. we become the comfort of the gospel. In flesh and blood, even if we say nothing. Bringing comfort is the ministry of the kingdom. We're just there to serve the other. And we must draw on the life of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to do this well. Hanley Moore, Bishop of Durham, in the early 20th century, said this. 
If you would deal aright with others, earnest Christian, you must live at the center, dwell deep. From others go back to Jesus, so that from Jesus you may go back to others, bearing the peace and power of the Lord himself upon you. Finally, before we end, I want to talk briefly about Jesus, our great comforter. Because it's in and through Jesus that we get a glimpse of the heart of God who came in the flesh to comfort all who mourn. Yes, Jesus came to bear the penalty of our sin, but the scripture makes it very, very clear that he also came to bear the pain of our suffering. Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah says, He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Our sorrows weighed him down. And the scripture talks about the anguish of his soul and calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. To those of us who would comfort others, and to those of us who are grieving yourselves, listen to Christ. Listen to the cross. There is no loss, no tragedy, no darkness, no death, no trauma, no tearing away from you that we have encountered or will meet in others' lives along the way that he has not borne. Poet F.W.H. Mayer, writing about the cross, says that there in that place, desperate ties of the whole world's anguish were forced through the channels of a single heart. And so the invitation from the Spirit of God today is to receive in our troubled hearts the impression of who he is and what he endured, of what he has done to bind up our broken heart. The crucified Christ, the one to whom we come, is the expert in sorrow. He knows our grief. He carried our sorrow. He knows the anguish of our souls. And Christ did not just bear the sorrows of the whole world. Although, of course, he did that. The crucified Christ bore yours, your very own sorrows. And as we wrestle with our own loss and the loss of others, this is a sign to us all. You shall find your Redeemer bearing your grief and sorrow and hanging on the cross. As we kneel at the foot of the cross, Jesus wants us to see all that he is experiencing there. And so this morning, let's sit there and see. Let's sit there and listen because the cross speaks and we need to sit and listen to what it says. 
In the moment of Christ's death on the cross, grace abandoned him, and he descended into hell, into an abyss that has no end and no light. Life became dead. Love was forsaken. Light was overpowered by darkness. Eternal joy was swallowed up by grief and sorrow. And Jesus became the victim of death. So the things that we have to face in our life or through the lives of others, the things we are walking through even now, he knows. Jesus, the one who stands before us this morning, passed through the fire of utmost physical suffering and grief. The grief, the cross and the resurrection is God's last word. Jesus bears the sorrows of the soul. He poured out his soul unto death. And in the garden of Gethsemane says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But the torment of his soul are beyond what we can comprehend. Jesus cried out aloud and along. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He questioned God. He cried out to his father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as your will. We who are weighed down with sorrow and tormented beyond words, he has felt those things. He endured the crushing of his body, a terrible and dark misery, and the severing relationship with his beloved father. Jesus understands our grief and has gone before us. Jesus has gone before you in your loss. And he goes with you now as you walk through your grief. With no sense of hurrying you along, no failure to understand the weight of darkness of it and with no surprise over your questions in every loss that tears at our fragile hearts in every loss tears at our fragile hearts Jesus has shared it all there's an old French saying suffering passes but to have suffered abides forever He whose earthly suffering has now passed carried with him the scars that will mark him for all eternity as the suffering servant. And he who has suffered now has become our comforter and he invites us to come to him. He loves you. He loves you. And he's deeply touched with your feelings of sorrow. Just let it sink in to your tired and torn soul that he loves you and he longs to comfort you. Jesus says, come, come to me. Jesus was sent by his father to bind broken hearts. And as you bring your grief and brokenheartedness to him, he will be tender to you. He will tell you the truth. He can see beyond the darkness of today and he will listen while you pour out 
your sorrow to him. Everyone here today has known loss of some kind, whether through a miscarriage, infertility, or trauma, or in our jobs, as our, or our marriage, or our children, or lost opportunities, or even death. Death is the enemy, robbing us of health and our relationships and dignity and ultimately life. Jesus has faced our most feared enemy on our behalf. And mysteriously, by submitting to that enemy, Christ has conquered it. So give yourself space to grieve. But do not grieve as those who have no hope. For just as Christ has gone before us in our sufferings, he also has gone before us to eternal life and glory. And we will follow him there as well. Jesus was a grief bearer. He leads the way in the path of sorrow. You and I will encounter suffering and loss in our lifetimes that will stagger our minds and break our hearts. The path of sorrow will, however, lead us if we will allow it to Jesus, the man of sorrows, who sits in the darkness with us, waiting for us to come. And he is the one who has promised that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will no longer be death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. And he who sits on the throne will make all things new. And so, as, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor, your hard work, the hard work of grieving, grieving is not in vain. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom we worship and serve, he is forever the one who suffered with us and for us. And he suffered so that one day we who suffer now will abide with him who sits in power over death of all kinds throughout the endless ages. Amen.